0: Hi everyone. I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer, and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. And on to this week's episode. It is with a fellow Zoe this week, Zoe Clark-Coates. I'm sure you've heard of her. She is the co-founder of the Mariposa Trust, which she founded with her husband Andy after they devastatingly lost five babies. The charity now supports over 50,000 grieving parents a week. How incredible is that? She also has her own TV show on Sky called Soul Tears, where she interviews celebrities and people of note on their stories of loss. She's also been appointed by the Secretary of State to co-chair the National Pregnancy Loss Review, which is the first ever review conducted into the care and support of people who lose babies pre-24 weeks. Zoe also has two books out, her first book, Saying Goodbye, which she put out a few years ago, and her new book, which she amazingly gave me an advanced copy of, called The Baby Loss Guide, which is absolutely brilliant and that is out now fair to say Zoe is one inspiring woman she has an infectious energy and warmth and kindness and I'm sure that's going to radiate through this interview as it did as I was sat with her So we talk about loss, we talk about grief and her mission and what gets her out of bed every morning. She works incredibly hard. The hours that she works is unreal. We also spend quite a lot of time talking about how we can support someone who's going through loss. I think we all know someone who has had a miscarriage or a loss or grief of any kind. So that I personally found really helpful as well, just to think about how I can support people in my life as well as myself. As you know, I've had two miscarriages in the last six or seven months, so this episode felt really pertinent to me as well. It's not always an easy listen, this type of topic, but I am really hopeful that you get as much out of it as I did, and that the next time you are asked to support someone who may be going through something like this, or you, you know, gosh, I hope it doesn't happen, but if it did happen, I hope that having listened to this podcast, you would feel better placed to support yourself and others. So, here it is. So, welcome to the podcast, Zoe, my lovely namesake. I know, I don't often meet Zoes, do you? No, I don't. Well... When I was younger, there wasn't any. No. Did you find that?
1: Yeah, I did until I went to high school and then there was three of us in one class, but it was all the Zoes in one school, I think, all in one mm, class.
0: Because I never met any until I think I got to uni and there was one. Right. But it's still quite It's still rare. unusual, isn't it? And I love my name because it means life. And I love that. It's, it's
1: very apt considering what I now do.
0: Mm, mm. Well, was the think. Have you heard of nominative determinism? No. So interesting. So there's a disproportionate amount of bakers called Baker, that's their surname. Right. And a disproportionate amount of dentists called Dennis. Right. It's really interesting. (laughs) So interesting. Google it, people. I'm probably describing it wrong. (laughs) But interestingly, that your name does mean life. I know. I know. And you've now made your career out of talking about life, Life loss, and hope, etc. Have you got umlauts over your E? No. Oh, you see, I have. What do they mean? They actually
1: mean you pronounce the E, so it makes it Zoe. So without you should be Zoe. Oh. Which
0: is these years. No, that is my nickname. So and me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to talk to you because when I was researching about you mm-hmm. and I have this phrase that I love called wounds to wisdom. Okay. I like that. As I was reading about you and the impact that you and your husband and everything that you do has, mm-hmm. I really Held that in my heart that oh. you've been through such loss and pain, yeah. and yet you have managed to transform it into this incredible gift for the world. Like I read, you helped fifty thousand. A week. I
1: know, which is amazing and crazy that the charity reaches that many people. And actually, it's way more than that, but we always give much lower numbers. I think that's just testament to how many hurting people there are. Maybe not so much about our work, it's about the fact that we've provided something that was missing for so long that wasn't there when we needed it. So we've managed to provide it and have this amazing team that do it with us. So it's certainly not just us. And to just know people aren't left with no support anymore is really amazing. Do you feel proud? I do. I feel very proud. I feel very proud of everything we've achieved, but also what the team, as I say, have achieved because it's a group effort. It takes a village. It's not about two individuals. It's about All of these people, we've got a team of over 240 people who are committed to changing the world one person at a time. And I think it becomes... A bit overwhelming if you start to look at the big numbers, at the 50,000. So we always say we never look at that big group. We always focus on the one. Would I do everything I do, the 120 hours a week I do, would I do it for one hurting person? And the answer is yes, because I'd want someone to do it for me. So I will definitely do it for them. And while you keep your eyes focused on the one individual, it's not
0: overwhelming. Wow, you're like Mm -hmm. the epitome of just someone in service. You're just in service. I think when you've been so broken by
1: life and by what you've gone through, it changes you a lot. And I like to think I was completely giving and compassionate before going through loss. But I know it's changed me in a very different and dramatic way. It's made me see the world in brighter colour and it's made me embrace everything where before I took everything for granted I guess and now I don't I just see everything as a gift because it is is, isn't because it? it is a gift you stop taking things for granted when the trap door has opened and you've fallen with no warning at all and it makes you just appreciate every little bit of
0: goodness that you come across mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I want to talk about your story but before that and yeah. linking on to what we were just saying I'm so fascinated to know because you transitioned out of corporate, didn't you? Yeah. Because some people talk about getting a call yeah. in. Some people share that they struggle with the decision whether to set up a yeah. service business. What yeah. was that like for you? At what point did you realise, I want to do something about what I've been what, through? Right. Well,
1: I'm a big believer that what you go through can be used for good. Yeah. Whatever that may be, because you're best placed to help those people if you've been through it. If that's your heart, because of course, for some people, it's not their heart isn't to reach thousands of people, they might just want to reach out to their neighbour, which is equally as good. So it all depends on what your call and your heart is everything I've ever done is either go big or go home. And so it was you always, been, you always, been like always been, ever since I was little, it was always, if I wanted to do something, I'd set up a company to do it, always, from a very early age. I mean, my teacher used to say that she and the classroom assistant only needed to watch me in the class, and they knew what the other 30 students, little five-year-olds, would be doing. So I'd be getting the whole class to catch sunbeams coming through the window. So you're a natural-born leader? I think so, I would say a leader, but I would say an encourager in the fact that I'm good at encouraging people to get on board with things or to get involved with things. So is that leadership? I don't know. But it's about getting people involved. And so I've always been about that. So when we went through loss, I was what can we do to help people? What did we need that was missing? We identified what was missing and then said, so how can we go about providing that? And we owned an international company and we said, why don't we start a not-for-profit division of that company offering international services of remembrance at cathedrals because we didn't have funerals for our baby. But it was something that we knew that was needed. I was a trained counsellor And I'd done that as a hobby because my mum's a therapist. i throw that in. Never intended to use it professionally. But because of that, I knew what was needed to process through grief. And some of these acts and ritualistic acts like funerals are really necessary to help people. And so we knew other people would benefit from that. So we launched a not-for-profit division it exploded overnight. The Guardian newspaper ran an article on us saying we were crossing over from the corporate into the charity market. Woman's Hour got involved and they asked if they could record the first service and that made it go even bigger. And so within six months, our website was having over six hundred and fifty thousand hits a month on the website. And so it quickly became apparent that for it to keep flourishing, we were going to have to lay down what we were doing as jobs. That was really hard because we were passionate about our company and loved what we did. There was nothing within us that wanted to change what we were doing. That's it was quite rare. Yeah, we just adored it. We worked together. Our clients were amazing. We owned great festivals and events and it was just great. It was a great job. In fact, we'd waited to have children until we were financially secure and we were working only four days a week. So, we had a three-day weekend. So, we fell and then we went through everything that we did. So, to do that, we knew we would need to let go of all of our corporate clients everything that we'd built, our early retirement plans, and we would have to put every single penny into the charitable into a, not into for a profit. not-for-profit into a charitable division all of our corporate clients would need to go and the company would need to totally service the charity to enable it to do what it was doing because we were only getting all the cathedrals because we were a professional events and PR company so the company still had to do everything to make all of these events happen so it meant we had to remortgage our house it meant we had to put our pensions in we had to give our whole life savings away and put it all into the charity to make it happen so overnight we went from financially secure to giving away everything that we had
0: God, well my first thought that comes up is just thank you <laughs> oh. really because you know one of my friends lost twins and she read your book so i had no idea that you had put all that on the line i don't know what i thought happened but yeah. just thank you oh, that well, is such that a... Means a
1: lot It was a big thing, but you know, it wasn't a big decision. It was hard. Did it feel natural to do that? It felt painful to do that. If you ask anybody, is it okay to just give away all of your financial security? And they say, yes, question whether they're lying or not, because (laughs) I can't tell you, if you've waited to have children until you're a bit older, because you want to be financially secure for your children's sake, and then you have them and then you give away your money and that doesn't hurt, why doesn't it hurt? But I think that shows the heart behind it. And we could have started fundraising straight away. We didn't even need to give away all of our money because as soon as we'd started, we could have just said, will you start giving into it? We could have started a just giving campaign. But we just were really anti that. We wanted to prove the charity was needed. And we said from the outset, we are not going to ask anyone for a penny in fact we refused anyone who donated wow. this money until we have proved it's successful it's needed it's vital and I'm not going to ask anybody to give us a penny until we've given all our money to it because how can you do that yeah yeah how can you ask for others if you're not willing to absolutely. do absolutely and so, so that's what we wanted to do so it wasn't until we were oh well over a year maybe 18 months old that we started actually accepting funds I think
0: so just to go back to that decision point, because I don't think many people relate on the scale and the size mm-hmm. that you're talking about. I yeah. think many people will relate about having been through things in their life, mm-hmm. whether it's loss or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and might have that seed of an idea of yeah. how they might want to help. How did you get over that fear of, why are we yeah. doing it, <laughs> to actually doing it? Is there anything that you could share on how you did that? You talked about dropping into your heart. Yeah, yeah. I guess if we'd let fear stop us, we wouldn't
1: have taken that step forward. God, and can you imagine if you hadn't have done? This? I know, I can't all even those imagine people that you
0: would, that just wouldn't just. I can't have been even helped. imagine,
1: even for our lives. I can't imagine in the fact of the friends we now have because of doing it, and the relationships, etc. So as it's well a real as all the life people.
0: business, isn't it? It is. It's fully everything. It's you and
1: it's yeah. Andrew and yeah, absolutely. So I can't imagine not have done it now, but for anybody who's not knowing whether they should take a step of faith, I guess you've just got to go with your instincts. You just know if something is right. And our family initially thought we were crazy. Did they? Yeah, absolutely. They said we'll support you, but they said you were utterly insane to do this, but they still said we'll stand by you while you're doing it. That meant the world. It would have been so easy not to do it when we were so scared. And Crims did we have sleepless nights over it and the fear and the terror of the bills being paid and all things like that where we just not had that for so many years because we'd worked so, so hard to build what we had and then suddenly we were back to that point again where we were worried about bills being paid but I wouldn't change it for the world because we started to see the results of what we were doing and the feedback. So I'd just say, listen to your heart and just go with it. And everything doesn't have to make sense. We didn't know all of the answers. We knew we had the skills to make it work. So I'd always say, Be careful on that. Make sure you're equipped to do it because I see a lot of people who start things that don't actually have the skills to do it and it quickly fails. So if you don't have the skills but you want to do it, just rally the right people around you so you can actually go forward positively and have the best chance
0: of making it succeed. Mm, That's really good advice. (laughs) Let's go back a bit slightly. You talked about these five losses. Yeah. Can you talk to us a bit about your journey? Yeah. And you mentioned you waited to start the yeah. family. Yeah. Did you just assume like most people, I know I did, yeah. I just assumed that I'd get pregnant. And That's because we are all lied to you, Zoe. Yeah.
1: We're all told that you can just decide to have children and then it will just happen. And actually it's not like that. So you spend so many of your years of married life etc or if you're not married as a couple try not to get pregnant and wait to have children and then as soon as you do decide to have children you think it's going to instantly happen don't you you just think yeah let's have a baby and you think it's until you know the work that you're doing and others the narrative just wasn't out there no it's all about contraception and trying not to get pregnant Mm. and then you don't hear about actually if you do wait a bit longer that increases your risk of loss and so many people have fertility issues etc we don't hear about that in education in school we were really blessed to be able to conceive so i'll say that up front the fact that for a lot of people it's not as easy as that. So that was a real blessing. So when we decided to have children, we were really fortunate to How get pregnant. How old did you, do you mind me asking? I was early thirties, very early thirties. I can't even remember. Someone asked me that earlier, and I was trying to do. I just gave him all the numbers and then said, "Do you do the math?" But I was early thirties. Yeah, don't ask me to do the <laughs> yeah. math. But we'd <laughs> got married at twenty-one.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: so we'd been married for years and years and years. So people had started to think we weren't going to have children because we were in the business world and they just thought we'd made a decision not to have children. But actually, because we got married so young, we had the time to wait. And so we thought we would just conceive and everything would be happy as Larry. And it wasn't. We lost our first baby via miscarriage. That was Kobe, you've given them all. Absolutely, we know them all, which I think is really important. Because every baby deserves a name, right? So oh, I haven't done that. <laughs> I need to do that. You can still do that. i mean, going to do, do it, it retrospectively. I'm going to do it absolutely retrospectively. fine for sure. It's just, I think, something everyone deserves a name, whether it be a nickname or a name. It's just an identity. Yeah. So we named our first baby, as you say, Kobe, and we then got pregnant again, and this time felt really different to that first time. And the first time as well, we grieved very differently to subsequent losses. We very much just pretended it hadn't happened. I was determined not to be a statistic at that one in four. And I knew the stats and I didn't want to be it. And I just kept going into denial thinking, I haven't lost a baby. I haven't lost a baby. Let's just try again, try again. Then when we did get pregnant, it felt different, as I say. Um, we went for... Lots of scans, everything was great, everything was beautiful, no reason to worry. And then I started bleeding and went for another scan and there she was on the screen. She was all great and fine. And then we were hosting a big event on a Saturday evening. And as I got out of bed, because I'd not been well, I'd had the flu on the week before. And so I'd been resting before the event, got out of bed and just felt a gush of blood and just instinctively knew she died. Mm. I just fell on the floor going, save my baby, save my baby. We went to the hospital, had a not a very great experience at A&E, And they told me to basically go to bed, go rest. There was nothing they could do to try and save her. So let's just see what happens. At which point we decided we were going to have to go for some private assistance to find out what was wrong. Because they said the earliest they could scan me again was a week from then. There was no way I was going to wait. So we left lots of messages on private clinics. And then on the Monday morning went to see a clinic and they told us she'd died. So it was horrendous. It was horrific. And while grieving for her, we definitely grieved at the same time for Kobe as well. The two really hit us all at once. And because people knew about Darcy's existence, it was hard, wasn't it? Because we suddenly had to say we hadn't just lost one baby. We've lost Mm -hmm. two babies. And so it was really difficult. We eventually recovered enough to try again again thinking this time was going to be different. And then we sadly had another miscarriage and lost Bailey. It was so heartbreaking to go through it a third time. After that, we definitely thought we're never going to have a child to raise. That was definitely How the How did you cope with that? It was horrendous. Had you always wanted to be a mum? I'd always wanted to be a mum. However... Me and Andy are really soulmates and best friends. And so I'd always said if we didn't have children, we knew we'd be okay together. But I was still desperate to have children but Especially with your
0: soulmate, with my soulmate, is there mate? anything more magical in the whole world than that? I know,
1: absolutely. And as soon as we'd lost the first baby, that maternal clock that was really strong went into overdrive. So as That's soon cruel, as we, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh. I thought it'd be the opposite. I thought once you went through loss, that would kind of quieten down.
0: Is that quite common?
1: That's it's really is common, it? really common, which is why a lot of people will go through a lot of repeated loss because once their hearts expanded. For a baby, they want to have children. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to retract that space, isn't it? That's already expanded. Mm -hmm. As soon as you know you can love more, you want to fill your home with more children. So yeah, it's totally natural. So at that point, I said, there's just no way we can have more. And then found out I was pregnant. (laughs) Again, (laughs) totally unexpectedly. And I'm just so grateful that happened because I don't think I would have This was your Esme. This Esme who we got to bring home. Who is now 10. Who is now 10. So I don't think I'd have ever stayed at that decision of no we're not going to have children. But you know, you never know, do you? But it's really common for people to go through periods after loss of thinking
0: I can't do it again. That's I how I feel right now. Yeah. I was just- and that's really common. I feel like I was just sharing with Zoe before we started, as many of the listeners know, so I talk about it, but I've lost two yeah. pregnancies and that's how I feel right now. Yeah, like, I, can't I just don't go know through if it I again. Can go
1: through it again. And that's really normal. Many people have that period of time where it just feels almost like self harm to try yeah. and get pregnant again. Yeah. Because you just feel like you're just setting yourself up to experience that's more how I pain. feel. That's but what that I feel. passes for most people. For some, it remains, but it's very rare for it to remain. It's just part of the grieving process.
0: Yeah. So Esme's Mm. 10.
1: Esme's 10. We got to bring her home. She was our miracle girl. Were you nervous that whole pregnancy? Terrified. Absolutely terrified. Even to the point of going to the hospital where we were putting the car seat in the car. I knew I had to have a C-section. And I said to Andy, what if we don't bring a baby home? And he said, then we'll survive it together. Wow! Yeah, and off we drove to the hospital, mm-hmm. terrified. But we got to bring her home. We had this beautiful baby. We had this beautiful baby. He was going to be an only child. We said, whatever happens, we were only having one baby. One baby. <laughs> lots of our friends only had be- one child because of the loss, or because no. you just only. No, ever it wanted always one. said we'll just have one child because lots of our friends only had one child, and they had just great lives, and their child had loads of attention, and yeah. we just thought that works. Yeah, but that quickly passed within, well, even while I was being pushed out of theatre on my hospital bed from the C-section, I said, I wish it was a twin. I wish there was two of them. And Andy must have been thinking at that point, hang on, I thought we were only having one. Well, you manifested that. Yeah. Because then you did absolutely. get Absolutely. Well, our next baby, once we decided to have more, because Esme was desperate for a sibling and we just knew, we'd Really wanted to have more children. The option to have one quickly vanished, and I definitely wanted more. And so did Andy. And we got pregnant again. Everything was great. All scans going really great, and then on one scan, exactly the same happened. Like with Darcy and Chris, our consultant and friend, turned to the screen and just said, "Zoe, I'm really sorry. His heart stopped. Mr. And that was Samuel. With Samuel. Yeah, and we were back to that trapdoor yet again." And now, of course, lost. you had a little. How old was Esme at this Esme, point? Esme, she was two, two and a half. So, how did the and grieving? And she
0: was in the room did, when we got told because we were all at the scan. How so, did the grieving look differently then when you were a mother? Wow,
1: well, it definitely the first losses where you haven't got a little pair of eyes on you. You can scream and holler and fall to the floor and beg for it to be different. But she was watching me. And I was acutely aware of that and I didn't want her to be scared. So I just calmly said, "Okay, no problem. I'm just going to nip to the toilet, nip to the toilet at the clinic and just screamed. It was horrifying. And then that silent scream comes that anyone knows when you've gone through severe loss where it just feels like you'll scream forever. And we'd had Darcy naturally. We delivered her at home and... That didn't seem like an option for Samuel because of Esme being there, we didn't want to have to wait for natural labour to start and for her to encounter that. So we decided to go the medical route Mm. and that was the first time for me to go into surgery. How different did that feel? It felt really different. It felt very medicalised, but it also felt really unhumane. The way we were treated, Mm. the way you're given less than five minutes to decide if you want the remains back, things that you get asked in those minutes that you can never prepare for and you have no idea are coming so you can't even go in there with answers because you have no idea what you're going to be asked you're not given any information and then you're sent home with no information no leaflets nothing to even recover from so it felt really different and I remember getting home after the surgery and my sister sitting there her saying are you okay and me saying no I literally can't breathe. I feel like I'm drowning. And I felt like I was suffocating. And I remember trying to, I was gasping for breath. And she just, she was sitting there terrified, absolutely terrified. And he was in the other room with Esme, because I was trying to keep all the really dramatic grieving (gasps) private because I knew that that wasn't something a two-year-old needed to see. No, no, it's too
0: scary. It's too scary to
1: see your mum and your father just screaming out in that sort of pain and so somebody would always go and play with her in the other room to give us those periods of time where we could be really authentic with our grief and so that's why my sister was sitting there and she just looked terrified and I could see she just wanted to reach in and rescue me Mm. and there was just no way of reaching me because I was desperate I was truly heartbroken and It was really different grieving having already had a child because the other three losses, I was not only grieving them as children that I'd lost, I was also grieving the fact that I might never have a a child to raise, but losing after you've had a child is very different because you're not grieving that because you've already got a child Mm. in your home, but you are grieving also, their sibling and imagining, will they look like the child you've got? Every loss is completely different. And whether you've got children or not had children before or after loss, that changes it as well. So, every loss
0: is completely unique and a
1: different experience.
0: So, what are some of the things when you're in that? I love your description of just that deep pain. Mm-hmm. What are the, some of the things that you did to heal? The raw pain.
1: I think it's time. And that's a horrible thing to hear. And I always want to give people, I mean, I speak to hundreds of people a day about this, and they want me to throw them a lifeline and drag them out. And that's what I wanted to do. I was going to say, I completely get it. I completely get it. But I can't ever do that because grieving is almost a solitary experience but what you can have is somebody who will swim alongside you Mm -hmm. and that's what i hope our work is that what your sister was doing she was and other friends and family as well my parents too they can just be with you while you're struggling to swim and while you're finding you can do doggy paddle and then you're able to put one arm in front of the other and suddenly you're gaining traction and you're moving forward in the grieving process. But that initial stages of grief that The raw the raw agony that oh. makes you feel lost makes you feel you will never recover. The last thing you want to hear is that time could help because actually you want a magic pill that's going well, you to take it away
0: you want that moment to stop you don't want to hear this no. moment it might continue no and i remember before esme
1: with darcy specifically going to bed every night begging to die Literally every night I'd be saying to Andy, the only way I can go to sleep is I pray that I don't wake up tomorrow morning. And I'd pray that every day. I'd read cases where people's hearts had physically broken and they never woke up. And I prayed that would be me. Did you feel suicidal? No. And that's very different. And I cover that a lot in all of the work that we do. There's a difference between being suicidal and wanting to kill yourself. And just not wanting to be here. That the pain is just too much Absolutely. to Absolutely, because I'd have never killed myself. I'd have never committed suicide. But I was desperate to die. Yeah, because in that moment... Yeah. I d- I I just the thought of actually living another day, feeling the way I was, was so huge that it was hard enough to get through that day, let alone thinking, how on earth am I going to get through tomorrow? And so that's why... I knew we needed to start the work we were doing because I knew there was hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, today, just in the UK, 700 people will lose babies every day in the UK, 700. So that's 1400 parents who are going through this agony, who don't know where to turn, who feel that
0: utter desolation and not knowing where to turn. I get it. I've been there. And there's no one that can help more than some well, I think the only people that can help yeah. are people that have been there. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that in anything. I agree. in anything. And I thought
1: I got grief. I thought I understood it because I trained it before,
0: in it. Yeah, other than your
1: counsellor training. Yeah. Had you experienced it. I before? had experienced it. So one of my best friends had had two stillbirths and I'd been the only person she'd really let Walk alongside her with her husband. Wow. And so I'd been there up close and personal and seen that desolation and grieved with her. And she'd had two stillbirths. Two stillbirths. Yeah. And that's not uncommon. You know, it's not uncommon. I thought these things were rare until we started our organisation. I mean, one of our team members, she lost her first baby via SIDS, via cop death, tragically. God. She then lost her second baby from a miscarriage. And then her third baby, the hospital, didn't diagnose that she had preeclampsia, so she had a full-term stillbirth. Yeah, so she's experienced it all. And he's still. And
0: you've got these like warrior women. Warrior women. Who, helping you
1: on your mission. Who know when you have gone through hell and gone through the fire, the only thing you can do is carry buckets of water for other people who yeah. are walking through it.
0: Wow. So you're grieving Samuel. Yeah. Whilst trying to mother Esme. Yes. What happened next? We then decided to try again.
1: And how um, did
0: you come to that decision? did that me. feel really brave or did it feel really
1: not brave it Did it felt feel braver not to try again
0: to be fair yeah
1: because i was scared to not have another child because i so desperately wanted well, it to go back into that pain the risk of yeah. going back into potentially going into that pain i'm a really positive person i will always see the glasses half full and even when i was terrified and even when i was thinking the worst i still really had a hope that things could end well even if I thought I can't go through it again, I still believed that it could all end well if I just carried on. Yeah, I never lost that. And it did. Wow. It was a journey. It was a journey. Well, we told the whole family we were expecting on Christmas Eve, and they were so excited. Went up to the bathroom, started to bleed. It's like, no, this can't be happening. Isn't that the worst feeling. Oh, it was just I've only horrible. had it
0: twice. I shouldn't say only. I've had it twice. Yeah. It was horrible. That moment. Oh, and that terror and dread. Eventually, I was told by a
1: doctor I'd definitely miscarried. So started grieving again, but then got sicker and sicker and sicker. So decided to go for a scan just to see what was physically wrong with me. I was only having twins and the doctor was wrong. I hadn't miscarried at all. Yeah, so that was a shock and something to deal with. And then I got horribly ill. My gallbladder failed. I nearly died. It was hellish. I haven't even shared half of it ever in the public domain because it's completely unbelievable, that pregnancy. It was one nightmare after the other to the point where they told me I was basically going to die and our baby was going to die because I was so critically ill. I mean, my insides were stuck together so I couldn't properly stand up straight. It was horrendous. And at this point, you're carrying twins. Yeah, yeah, I was carrying twins. Then, sadly, one of them died, which was Isabella, Bronte's twin. But she hung and survived. And Bronte's now seven. She's now seven.
0: So that's our family now complete, two here and five in heaven. So you've been through, with witnessing your friend's stillbirth, with witnessing Mm. twin loss, with Mm. witnessing miscarriages at multiple stages i wonder you know when i think about my sort of spiritual beliefs Mm -hmm. did you feel like all that happened not for a reason i don't believe that actually but yeah do you feel like you were gifted those experiences in order to do what you do i don't actually and the reason i don't believe that is because i've got a
1: faith and i don't believe a god and i believe in a god would ever do that to teach people lessons because then i think god would be a cruel god and my god isn't a cruel god however i do believe anything you go through can then be turned into something beautiful yeah but i don't believe, I believe
0: it happens i don't believe things happen no. for a reason but yeah. i believe you can make a reason out of things that happen. and there's a big difference in that there isn't is a it? really big difference and also i feel like that it happened for a reason thing when people have said that to me, the some of the stuff I've... Been, it feels like a platitude. It is. Oh, so it I sort is. of hate platitude. It's It's, it's,
1: it's trying to like, find but, a silver lining and put a pretty bow on something. Yeah. So, oh, I so see, it was all worth it in the end. Well, actually, yeah. no, it wasn't worth it. And I yeah. wouldn't ever make that happen again no. to get the end result that I've got no. now. But you have made
0: a meaning yeah. out of what happened yeah. to you. totally. Which is unbelievable, what you've been through and what you've done as a result of that pain. Can we talk about the baby loss guide. Yes. Which is your new book. Yes. Hot off the the press. press. (laughs) Yes. Very exciting. Very exciting.
1: So I've already written a book called Saying Goodbye and that became an Amazon bestseller, which was amazing. And that was basically our story and 90 days of support to help people through those dark nights. I call them the dark night of your soul, where you just feel like there's no end in sight. And It was made for people to be able to just dip in and out for 90 days on a day-by-day basis where you have no idea what tomorrow might bring, but you've got that book sitting there on your bedside. Mm. On from that, obviously I was going to carry on writing further books, and that's where The Baby Loss Guide emerged from. And this book is everything I needed in a book when I was going through loss so it answers all the questions I was asking it gives the information that you need but not too much information on the different areas of loss because as soon as you enter the loss world you start hearing from other people you're connecting with about their experiences. Oh, I had a molar pregnancy, I had an ectopic pregnancy, for instance. Or well, what does that mean, actually? So it gives you bits of information on all of those things. So when you're sharing your story and other people share with you, you can comprehend
0: where they're coming from. And I think that's such an important point, because before I got pregnant, I literally had no idea that 700 stat yeah. that you just shared yeah. with me. I would say I was really naive yeah. before I had... Jesse, and before I started Mother Kind to some degree and now I've been through my own two losses I'd Mm -hmm. say I'm getting more educated Mm -hmm. but something that I definitely struggled with was knowing what to say. Yeah and terminology. Terminology and and even like before this interview I was like sort of said a little prayer you know like (laughs) I hope I don't say anything the wrong words it's such a fear. I know. Well with you you know you do on a grand scale Mm -hmm. but if a friend is willing to be vulnerable enough with yeah. me. I just don't want to mess it up. Yeah. Basically. And that is what this book is That's, for as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's a
1: whole chapter in here about what not to say. That's what is it what not lovely about say? it. Because this yeah. isn't just for people that have been through no. loss. It's an that, educational tool. It's a book that not only will help you when you're going through loss, it's a book that you can give to any family or friend and say, would you like to know what I'm going through and do you want to know how to help me? read this book so it's got lists of how you can practically help and support so and what brilliant. to say but it's also got lists of things that this is a really bad thing to say and this is why i wanted
0: to ask you about this yeah. it would be good to pull this out i wanted to ask you know everything that you've been through yeah. with hundreds of people that you speak to yeah. every day what are some of the most helpful things that people can say Or even not say and and do. And then what are some of the least helpful? Just if there's anyone listening, I'm sure everyone listening will have a friend, probably right now, Mm going through something. Multiple, probably. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is to not fear showing up.
1: Because as you say, we all dread saying the wrong thing. And I think that fear can at times make you retract from a situation. For me, it's like, I don't want to make it worse. Yes, we all have that. And even as a grief expert, which I am, I fear it. Do you? Absolutely. That's going to help people to Absolutely. hear out. Absolutely. When you go into certain situations, with the best will in the world, I can have all the right things to say, in inverted commas here, but you have no idea what's going to be said to me to provoke my answer. And so if I say it and even a tone that they don't like, they don't receive it well. And remember, the person who is grieving is sitting there in pain. And when somebody is sitting there in pain, they sometimes aren't hearing how you're saying something, or they are filled with so much sorrow and pain, they may take something you've said in complete innocence. And feel it's been said in a completely different way or with different motivation mm. and especially when a lot of communication doesn't even happen face to face anymore it happens via social media or via your messages and dms it's so easy to misinterpret something oh, gosh, yes. that's actually said in love that actually is received in a really painful way so i always go in with a sense of trepidation as well so even as an expert i'm not right i'm just going to go in there and i'm going to say exactly the it's right really thing it's really
0: important for people to hear that yeah that no one finds this easy no and no or even you who you will you're the leading voice yeah and I don't find it easy And and i tell you something if you do find it absolutely
1: easy in all situations I'd say you're the most likely to hurt somebody because it's only if you go in with a complete sense of I'm there for you but I'm not going to have all the answers. You actually hear what's being presented to you. If I just went into every situation thinking, well, I know what to say. I know how to make you feel better. I wouldn't be actually listening because I'd be there's going a, in with my own a humi- agenda.
0: There's a humility in the fear, isn't there? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Of course there is. It's about saying, I won't have all the answers because no one will have all the answers for you,
0: but I'm willing to do everything I can to help is you. Is that one of the first things then that is listening and actually trying to yeah. hear someone's pain and not trying to rescue them from it yeah and I wanted to ask you about this because I mean I've had loads of therapy I'm trained like you are to hold space Mm -hmm. and not to jump in and fix Mm -hmm. but I think for most people when they see someone especially if it's someone they love in pain Everything in us wants to take that pain away, for sure, and we can't. Yeah, and that's also a cultural thing. I think
1: British people are really bad well, I at think it's letting childish, people hurt, isn't it? Because yeah. we don't let our children cry. We don't. If you are strong and don't cry, you are rewarded for that. Yeah. You are being patted on the back, well done for holding it all shush, together. Shush, don't cry. Yeah, and actually, what I'm trying to do, and the work of the charity is trying to do, is change that culture and say commend those who are crying because they are willing to bring their pain to the table and that is something that should be honoured Not it, start, those it starts with today. us mums with how we it absolutely does and the temptation to say come on come on it's okay it's okay but actually it's okay for them to hurt and it's okay for them to feel the pain a bit of a sidetrack story here mm. my grandfather died last week
0: I'm and it's so it's, sorry yeah, to hear that. it's been
1: this most horrendous experience where we took him to a hospital appointment and he was told he would have two to 10 years left and he died three weeks to the day.
0: Oh my god! I'm so sorry. So nothing
1: could have prepared us for it. So my girls had been around him the whole time because we have been nursing him, getting him back on his feet. And so they spent so much quality time with him and obviously been hearing that Grandad's not very well at the moment, but he's going to be okay. He's going to be around for a long time. Mm. and then you had the two to ten years yeah absolutely all the doctors were saying the same thing and so we were really confident so we were able to reassure them that granddad's going to be okay and they're so close to him and then suddenly last tuesday pain started to break through at 12 o'clock and he died by quarter to four and we were all in the house all of us because he was at home so my children were playing with you with my granddad yeah And so my children were playing in the conservatory with my husband and I was in another room and then I got told to pop into the bedroom and he died five minutes later. And in that space, I was screaming and howling and crying. And then it suddenly occurred to me, I had to tell my children. And then I started screaming and crying, the fact that I had to tell them. And instinct is to protect them from it, is to go out there and put a sticking plaster on it and try to sugarcoat it in some way, whatever way you can when it's dealing with such a subject as this. But I knew I just had to let it be real. So I pulled myself together somewhat, went out into the conservatory and said, granddad has just died. And my youngest started screaming and fell to the floor. And said, mummy, mummy, I'm never going to feel joy again. And I was crying and sobbing. And I wanted to tell her everything's going to be better. And I knew that was wrong. So I just said, I know, it hurts a lot, doesn't it? It's okay to hurt. And it's okay to scream. And you can carry on screaming. Yeah. You scream for as long as, long as, you, as you want to scream. And you cry for as long as you want to cry. It's entirely appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And I could have said, come on, it's going to be okay. And Granddad had a great life and he's not in pain anymore. And I could have looked at the bright side as we've just been saying. But I didn't. I just said, it's okay to hurt like hell right now.
0: And what you did is you validated their feelings. Yeah. And they
1: cried and cried and cried. And the following morning, when I woke up feeling just as sad as the night before, Bronte skipped into my bedroom and said, mummy, mummy, isn't it a beautiful day? Just look at the sun and how it's shining. Today's going to be good. And that is a lesson on children and grief. If you let them be real, if you let them journey that emotion, it's so raw and so deep, but A few hours later, they're having the best day of their life. Mm -hmm. And she's still going through moments, both of them are, where they'll have times where they'll just suddenly sob and go, we miss him, we miss him. And I go, yes, I miss him too. I miss him too. And then they go, should we go and play then? Should we go do Lego now? Because that's what children do when they process grief. But the temptation as parents is to put a pretty bow on top. Make it all look okay and say, we don't need to feel this, but actually, we do need to feel it. This is part of life. It's okay to celebrate life and it's okay to grieve death. And the
0: best thing we can do for our children is let them feel it all. Absolutely. I mean, Mm -hmm. when Jessie cries, we haven't been through anything like that yet. But even when she cries, when she falls over or something, I say, keep crying until all the pain goes. Yeah. And I hear some other mums like looking at me like, because I know because of the work that I do that yeah. tears are our natural way of releasing pain. They it's are. what they're there for. Yeah. So it's when we hold on to our pain that then problems it, gets, happen. it gets bigger and problems yeah. happen. So I say, cry until it doesn't hurt anymore. Yeah. And do you know what's fascinating? Every time it's quick. Yeah, she cries and I go does it still hurt she'll go yeah and I go cry more get the pain away get the pain away and then she's like it's like, okay like, now. Like, a, like a mini version of what your girl's yeah. modelled it's fascinating isn't I mean, it? it it's fascinating but it's also nature it is
1: it's how we were created and what I find fascinating is that tears of grief are different to the tears. So they contain different chemicals and hormones.
0: No. Yeah.
1: So tears of happiness, if you cry with happiness and joy, they're made up of different substances. of tears of grief because we're meant to be allowing those chemicals and those we're hormones out of our body. Processing. And if you keep them inside, that's when internal damage starts to happen.
0: Absolutely. All my troubles in life from trying to avoid crying pain. Anyway, so we were talking about supporting someone. Yeah. So this first thing that you want to talk about is giving someone the space. Space, not jumping in and fixing uh-huh. validating the tears. Yeah. Encouraging them to just be
1: in that pain and to not find the silver lining. Mm-hmm. They don't have to rejoice it's hard in anything. To do, isn't it? It's really hard to do. And it's so painful to do. You're not just going to be sitting there as a sitting duck you're going to feel that pain with them because when you can't rescue somebody you feel it and it hurts and the temptation is going to be to run right out that door that you've just been invited in Mm. but if you're a good friend or a loving family member you have to overcome that and you have to just sit there and you have to say, I'm going to sit here even if it hurts. And even though I might prefer to go shopping or out with other friends next week instead of coming back here, I'm going to come back here anyway, because that's what I would want them to do if we were in different positions right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Holding space. Holding space and showing up. And What about anything to say other than I hear you, I'm here for you? Avoid anything that starts with, well, at least... And this is Renee Brown's, isn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. Empathetic
1: responses do yeah. not start with at least. Ever. And that's one of my big things in the book as well. Anything that starts it with at least is a no-go because that is about robbing somebody of their situation. Invalidating someone it of their experience. It is.
0: You should be feeling the way you're feeling because at least you know you can get pregnant. Yes. <laughs> well, and everyone used to say that to me. Everyone used to say, at least I've you can had, get pregnant. I've had that said. Yeah. Well, I've had people say to me around these two miscarriages, at least you're already mum yeah it comes from such a good place I understand where it comes from but this is why what you do is so important and why this book is so important because this is the education because we don't get taught this in school no if our mums weren't therapists yeah (laughs) we don't get taught this language so I think that's really important just remove at least remove at least and just say
1: Keep giving permission for them to keep telling the same story. Yeah. Because when you're processing grief, you need to repeat the story again and again. That's how your brain comes to terms with the trauma that you've gone through. That's why going to a therapist works because you're actually having that space and that time to keep telling your story over and over again. And that's how the brain
0: finally goes,
1: okay, I can deal with this Is and that I because can live with it
0: integrating back into what happened is it an integrative process and processing it it's about just coming
1: to terms with it and accepting it and accepting that it's reality because Mm. shock plays such a big part in baby loss that for a long time it's sitting on the periphery of reality you feel like you're not in the world anymore and so by communicating it over and over again you're finally coming to a place where you go okay it has happened But I can actually move forward with this being my reality rather than you just being outside the world, which is what it feels like for a long time. Mm -hmm. I always say you feel like you're behind a glass partition where you can see everything else going on in the world, but you're slightly removed from it. Mm -hmm. And it just feels really odd that everything's going on as normal that people are going to work that the birds are singing mm-hmm. that cars are moving when actually you're in this new world that you can and only you watch from totally a distance different. and by talking that stops that feeling from becoming a long-term factor in your life because eventually your brain accepts what you've been through
0: that's really important for people to yeah
1: but it's hard to keep telling your story unless you're given permission to tell it because you feel like well, I've told you this already and I'm repeating myself and you're going to be bored now. So if you give your friends permission, if you need to tell me the
0: same story 20 times, you're giving them such an amazing gift. Mm. And then let's go on to the other side. So we've already talked about the not saying at least. Yes. Is there anything else which is just deeply unhelpful for people to do or say or not do or not say? Try not to put pressure on people
1: to re-engage with the world. That's something that's... Like, come on, let's get dressed up and go shopping. Yes. All that stuff. Because actually it can really trivialise what people have gone through. And that's, again, one of those things that people, because they struggle with knowing what to say, they fall back on that. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? This sort of forced excitement. Yeah. And actually, let them just be... And you be with them and then let them lead the way. That's That's, really good advice. Yeah, instead of just trying to be the cheerleader for their life. They don't need a cheerleader right now, they need a
0: tissue holder. Yeah, and that's what I'm really, like if people could take from this, it's not your job as the person to fix it no and rally them no into feeling happy again no because you can't do that no and they
1: might not want that and And they might not want that and eventually they might resent you for exactly doing that because it feels like one you're trivializing their loss two you don't get them and
0: three it can make you look really uncompassionate well i think it's always like a I know what you need. Yeah. When actually, how do you know on what earth what I need? Yeah. And
1: actually, they don't know what they need mm. for a long time. So actually just sitting with them and letting sitting. them be and not yeah. putting pressure on them. Yeah. Trying. Allowing them to tell their story. Yeah. And take away some of their practical issues. I always encourage that. So if you can take them over dinner regularly, do that. For a while, they might not want to socialise. They might not even want to talk. So... When people say to me, what's the best gift I could give somebody? I say, tell them you'll bring dinner and just leave it on their doorstep at five o'clock every day and that you'll ring the bell. You won't be there because you'll be gone. But dinner will but be. But dinner will be there so that they can know at five o'clock every night and they don't have to think about that. And that's especially important if somebody's got children oh, and yeah. they're encountering loss because... Things still have to tick over. It's a bit easier if you haven't got children in your home because you can take more of that space to just recluse and to go to bed and stuff. But when you've got a two-year-old, he still needs feeding, entertaining, wanting to go to the park, playing, exactly. Any sort of practical help, especially in those circumstances, is great. Say, can I take your child or children Out to the park for the afternoon? Can I take Mm. them to the zoo? Can I take them to do things? Because where children are fine being around grief and loss and it's healthy, it's not healthy for them to be submersed in it 24-7. They need that escape to just go and be, to go and run and be children to have that escape. Because as I say, they dip in and out of it. And so they need times to be able to extract from that situation. So if people can say, can they come around and play at my house for the whole afternoon? That's such a gift
0: to a grieving parent. Mm. That's really, really important. You're making me think of a friend who lost twins and I'm thinking... Did I do enough? But that's not helpful. It's not, it's (laughs) it's not. Trying not to like shame myself. Yeah, because there's no shame in it. Yeah. That
1: was why I was really cautious about writing the chapter in the book about what not to say, etc. Because I didn't want people to feel guilt. I didn't want people to be reading it going, Oh my goodness, I've done that. I've done that. And we're all going to go through that at times in our life when we suddenly discover that we might have said or done the wrong thing or not showed up in a way that may have been the most helpful so I don't want people to read this in any way in that way and I hope I've addressed that by saying you're going to read this and think of things and you might want to address that and I've actually suggested if you really feel that you've messed up big time with somebody just say I've just been reading the baby loss guide I've discovered the fact that I might not have shown up in the way you needed me to or I might have said things I'm so sorry for doing that please forgive me I didn't know but I know now.
0: There's so much power in that. Yeah, in making it's a amends. gift to people. It's, oh my gosh, I've had amends made to me like that, deep yeah. things. Oh, it's so it bad. means the world. The, the depth it? that comes from those types of conversations, and you know, and I love that. I don't know whose phrase it is, but you know, when we know better, we do better. Yes, it's not that anyone. I you know, if I think yourself. about me and my friend, I wasn't trying. I just, I think I just hadn't thought about. Yeah, I could have taken her son on a play date. I could have taken him. I could have, and I didn't what is the phrase forgive yourself for what you didn't know then you know better yeah. I love that it's yeah. all about the fact it's that.
1: Actually. Is it yeah I, I so can't so. remember what it is but it's so powerful because we do actually hold ourselves in judgment and guilt but we didn't know better then yeah, I didn't know so and actually
0: once you do know that's the only time you're accountable for it really absolutely mm-hmm so is there anything that we haven't talked about or that you want to share about this book or anything at all before we start meandering towards the end of the well
1: i guess some of the big questions i'm being asked about is, is it for men and women and absolutely it is it's for both it's got all stories in there from men and women because it's not just my story in there I've got stories from all different people who have encountered all the different types of loss so people who have lost via cot death who have lost two-year-olds who have lost by accidents with their children so there's all different types of stories and from both men and women so this is so important. a book for both genders and it's also a book that's as much for people who have lost babies yesterday is people who have lost 70 years ago. So people always think the work of our charity is for people who have lost in the past like 12 months. But actually we support as many people who have lost children 40, 50, 60 years ago who have never dealt with it and never dealt with that grief, never had a chance to grieve than people who have lost in the last three years. Wow. Which I think is a, a powerful testament to grief, how it journeys with you until you're ready to
0: deal with it. Yeah, I cannot wait to read it. I hope you love it. I'm going to love it. (laughs) So the last question. Yeah. I ask everyone the same question and I'm really looking forward to your answer. Oh no, the pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Which is if you could give just one gift to all the mums, and mums in its broadest sense, what would you give? I'd say believe in yourself. Believe
1: in your instincts. Because I think the world so often tells us that they know better than ourselves, but actually we're all built with this inner knowledge of what's the right thing to do, the right thing to say. But we've lost that inner voice often because the voice of the world has become so loud in our ears and things like Instagram and social media and the pressures of these platforms can be so intense that That almost helps rob us of our identity and we stop being comfortable in our own skin. And that happens even more so when we go through grief because you become so completely changed by your experience that you forget who you are and you change. And what a lot of people struggle with is they say, I just want to be the old me again. And actually, we have to let go of the old and become the new. That's a forever changing thing. But you've got to listen to that inner voice and that inner knowledge to know who you want to be. So when you do go through these horrible life experiences, all the beautiful, joyous life experiences, we can fall back on that sense of who we are. And How I would always encourage people to find out that sense is look at what makes your heart sing. Look at what makes you feel happy and brings you joy. Is it the fact that you love to communicate with people? Is it that you love to bring people together? And the more you can incorporate those things into your life, the more satisfied you will become with your life and the more fulfilled you will be. If you embrace all of those things that are part of your character and your nature and we stop just being what we think others want us to be
0: Mm. amazing thank you so that's it thank you for listening to the episode i hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on itunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends and also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three month program called reconnect to you. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.